0: This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Yesterday I ended up uh, with the talk, uh, reading... Um, a poem by Galway Canal on St. Francis and the South. In endeavor to uh, offer an illustration of a couple of Buddhist terms that are in the middle of the seven factors of awakening. Uh, Those factors, the ones I have sort of rambled around, Uh, mindfulness, Uh, open awareness for whatever is going on in the moment, investigation. Uh, What's happening now? uh, When the mind is more active, that has more of a mental component, as the mind starts to settle, that's more of an experiential modality, not, not so glued together with ideas and notions, uh, and then the next one is energy, mm-hmm ranges from um, effort, persistence, to energy, or maybe in a simpler term we could say enthusiasm. You come to Shishin and you sort of don't come to Shishin. It's a bit of a shock, you mean, this is my life now? (laughs) Just sit here and do nothing? (laughs) Just be? And you stick with it. And then amazingly, there are actually moments where you enjoy it. The next two factors, uh, pity and pesiety. Um, it's like when we're enthusiastic about doing something, uh, it stimulates us. You know, you know when you dread doing something, you know, for a whole variety of reasons that we can come up with. There's a kind of a, a mental resistance. There's maybe even a physical kind of heaviness. Oh no, I'm tired. <laughs> maybe I should do that tomorrow or later. Uh, but when there's enthusiasm, there's a kind of, oh yes, great. And, and as that seeps in, um, The energy has almost a kind of an exhilaration to it, and if we're really enthusiastic, um, the very activity of being engaged in it brings forth joy, and and that joy. um, can have both mental and physical uh, attribute to it. You know, when you do something, you dried and then finally, it's over. Usually, you're tired, you know, or deflated. Ah, oh, thank God, <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> but something you're really enthusiastic about. It looks like it it has charged you, it has lightened you, Mm -hmm. and that can reflect or express itself either in mindful, uh, in the mind as joy, or in the body as kind of pleasant energy. And it's interesting to note, because in the, um, in the Suttas, the early Buddhist Suttas, where they're talking about the cultivation of concentration, they say, when that arises, soak it up, soak it up the way soap powder soaks up water. And then the following factor is ease. Maybe to stick with the same analogy, you know, it's like when we when we do something we're enthusiastic about uh, afterwards we're more inclined towards ease than agitation. Unless, of course, we get attached to it, and we're sorry it's over. And, uh, but setting that aside, yeah, which is no small matter, <laughs> um, the activity, the engagement that's infused with enthusiasm, yeah offer as a kind of spaciousness and ease. Then the next two factors are samādhi, which I'll talk about some today, and equanimity. And then you can either think of this It seems like what I just said, well, this is a linear process, one to seven, and you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And we can think of it that way, and sometimes it appears that way, but usually something about our personality, how we're practicing, um, the circumstances under which we're practicing, The style of practice, Uh, they can appear in in, in quite a different order. uh, Another way to think about it is that each one, as we engage it, it it sort of connects out to all the others. And I think all of that holds true. And the reason I said that now is because after we practice for a while it, uh, the shock of finding ourselves in Shashin, the, uh, the adjustment look where I ended up and then okay and what kind of world is this and what are you supposed to do here and then you start to connect to it you start to you start to create a new normal oh and and, uh, and your previous normal starts to recede normal starts to feel normal um, and there's a, a familiarity and w- one of the benefits of familiarity is that we, we can start to see a kind of gestalt to the whole thing and so I thought well maybe I'll offer a a mental picture a conceptual picture of the gestalt of all this according to the seven factors of awakening so now you know And then reading St. Francis in the South and yesterday, you know, talking about savouring and appreciating the experience. In a way, it wouldn't work so well to say that up front on the first day. I think it'd be more like, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) This is torture. (laughs) I'm actually thinking of leaving. (laughs) (laughs) Your suggestion I savor it. (laughs) But as you settle in, you know, as something in you starts to give over, albeit reluctantly, albeit gives over a little bit and then reattaches to the world according to me. Um, But steadily giving over despite ourselves. Uh, The gestalt, the the overall picture of what we're doing in terms of the pieces of it, with the familiar, familiarity of involvement in it. You know? Okay, here's how we do service. We all stand up and then we fold those cushions in the middle and then we st- stand there and then we do this and then we do that. And here's how we do karaoke and here's how we uh, to and just extending that to noticing the process. And in some ways, in spiritual practice, this is a crucial part. Because, especially in a non dual tradition, which Zen is, essentially meaning there, there isn't a good. Outcome that we're supposed to make happen and a bad outcome we're supposed to avoid. Yeah. It's, the emphasis is on the process of waking up to what's happening. Yeah. And, and so there's a shift in consciousness from... Is this okay? Am I going to get what I want? Am I going to be okay? Is it going to hurt me too much? Um, To almost a more matter-of-factness. Okay, I'm in a process. And yes, I bring my stuff here and then I act that out in whatever way I act it out. Whether you drop it in the first five minutes or whether... uh, You spend your breaks yearning for somewhere else or something else. The constructs of your own being, your own habituated being. And then you go to zazen, and then you take a break, you go to zazen, you take a break, and the back and forth. cultivate a certain kind of matter of factness It's like the same thing that process, this process that happens to us in meditation. You know, many of us have a powerful, significant experience. And, And then we think, oh, there's some extraordinary state of being that I can achieve and live within. And all this bad stuff in my life will fall away. And then you keep practicing and you discover for some people that happens, but for the majority of people that's not what happens. You so what happens is you become more aware of the particularities of your own being and you learn how to accommodate them, how to be skillful and compassionate and patient with them, how not to let them blind you to other possibilities, to learn the path of liberation in engaging them. and i hope you can see that from that more matter of factness investigation almost becomes more matter of fact hmm. look at that look at the way that issue came into my mind was grasped was energized uh, Ripple through my body in my state of mind. Created a certain state of mind. Ripple through my body. We can see the investigation. We can see the energy play of it. We we can see the character of it. Does it have the character of a kind of spacious savoring? and something in us shifts towards ease or does it have a character of agitation and something in us shifts towards uh, contraction? The mind's unsettled. It's more difficult to pay attention to the body and the breath. And as we allow our life to become more or a matter-of-fact, we're shifting towards just acknowledging. Notice, acknowledge. And, and the drama that our own uh, conditioned existence tends to create around experience starts to loosen, starts to quiet. Then um, piti and Poseidon. How wonderful. What an amazing gift. Yeah. That our consciousness should be like that. in us makes less of a fuss we start to feel like this is not that bad maybe it's okay to be here maybe I will survive and then we notice the way the afternoon light beams across the room Or we hear our chanting and something occurs to us that there's a kind of a beauty to it once I was at Tassahara in one of our three month sessions and I had to go out ironically enough I had to go out and teach somewhere else and uh, and I was driving out down the Carmel Valley Road and It occurred to me, what a beautiful morning. It's about six in the morning. And then I saw a tree and I thought, what a beautiful tree. And then I looked out over a big meadow and I thought, what a beautiful meadow. And then I sort of thought, hmm. I seem to be in an appreciative state of mind, don't I? It just sneaks in, you no? Know? How long does it last? Huh. Not much further along. I was just thinking what happened then. Not much further along. I was going into a very tight bend someone came screaming around the other way and whacked the tail into my car. And I got out and I said, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I'm okay. Are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. And then we smiled. We're both okay. Cars aren't so good, but hey, We okay. okay. Then we did our business and then we both drove off. Uh, There's a way in which society and piquity support our life then there's a funny way, we turn them into desire, you know, I want. You know? I want a beautiful day, and I want a beautiful tree, and I want a beautiful meadow. And I sure as hell don't want a car accident. <laughs> And it does something funny to us when, when it's all contracted into desire. And from the point of view of practice, it just presents us with a different practice and a different teaching that arises in that practice. We're subject to causes and conditions, they create us, they create how we see the world, they create how we're energized in relating to the world, they stimulate our responses. It's a process. We're part of it, we're not in charge of it, but when we engage it intentionally, when we keep bringing awareness to it, um, it's not just blindly out of control, fatalistic. And the inquiry, one of the inquiries for us is, how do we stay in touch in a kind of insightful way? Maybe we we could put it another way and say, how do we stay in touch with a kind of yogic intelligence? The yoga of being a human being, of having a body, of having a mind, of having feelings, that engages or tries to disengage. Mm. And so I'm going to read a little bit of that poem I read yesterday. Then I'm going to read something a little scary. But it's only a poem, so. And sometimes scary comes from. St. Francis in the South. The bud stands for all things, for even those things that don't flower. For everything flowers from within of self-blessing, though sometimes it's necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on its brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely, until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. If it were only that easy to charm ourselves with appreciation, And in a way, it is that easy. We can, uh, especially as we're starting to have more contact with what's going on in the moment, whereas the urgency of our conditioned mind—it's so busy it can't quite even stay right uh, here—as it starts to soften and quiet down some then we can offer ourselves the nourishment of savoring, the nourishment of being present. They tell each thing of its loveliness. in Tassajara, the Zen monastery. To go there, to live as a resident, you have to start with a five-day sitting. It's called Tangariya where you have to sit from morning to night. You get fed, fortunately. And and so when I was going there, I was part of a group doing that. And I had... uh, very fierce and exacting expectations of myself and uh, and I sat in a very fierce and exacting way and then about the end of the third day and then we'd have a half hour break after each meal at the end of the th- somewhere in the middle of the third day I uh, after lunch I went to my room and I sat in a regular chair and I leaned against the back of it and my whole body went ah. and I learned so much about pity and Poseidon Is that it? Do we have to push ourselves really, really hard till we're almost worn out? And then sit in an easy chair so you can go, ah. just to continue with that point, this is an excerpt from a poem by Wallace Stevens. It's called The Snowman. You know that poem? I know Wallace Stevens, that poem. Huh? One must have the mind of winter to regard the frost in the boughs of the pine trees crusted with snow full of the same wind blowing in the same bare place. For the listener who listens in the snow, and nothing himself beholds, nothing that is not there and the nothing that is. In a way, why did I throw that into such a nice, lovely, warm picture? Uh, We don't own pasati and Piti. We don't take them and say, that's mine and I'm keeping them. Um, we give ourselves to them and Wallace Stevens says well let's take the stoic approach let's take the aesthetic approach aesthetic approach um, come at it sit hard and and determined for three days, then you get to sit in an easy chair for five minutes. Yes, that break ended way too soon for me. (laughs) Yes, as the early sutta says, saturated in uninhibited welcoming and enjoying of the warmth, the energy, the lightening and loosening of body and mind that it brings. But don't cling. Don't think you own it. And know that in our practice, each of us is challenged. No. When is virtue perseverance, and when is virtue enthusiasm? No. And it's hard to be enthusiastic when your knees hurt like hell. And that's why I would just say to you, in a matter-of-fact way, pay attention. Are you enthusiastic about your knees hurting a lot? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe over in Wallace Stevens, you know, the, the part of the poem I left out, he says, without sighing and moaning, you know, you're, you're there in the cold without sighing and moaning, and then You just hear the wind in that bare place and behold nothing that isn't there. Just this is what it is. There's a kind of a renunciation of all the stuff you want to take away from it or add to it or whether you want to escape it or stay there forever just this is what it is, nothing that isn't here, and the nothing that is, that this moment is just this exquisite arising that exists now. This moment just arises now, and here we are, in it. We don't own it. We can't put it in our pocket and claim, that belongs to me. And to remind ourselves that the wisdom of the teachings are that, of course, if we just cling to our desires, they lead us off into an unhelpful place. And to open up to the joy, the ease, is actually helpful. It it actually nourishes the body. It nourishes our enthusiasm. It nourishes the state of mind that's attending to experience. So in the midst of your sitting, Can you pay attention? Can you investigate? Is there a way of sitting that's stultifying, that becomes mechanical, that's sort of compressing? Sometimes you can feel the mind sinking. And is there a way of sitting that... um, Invites attentiveness, presence, and and this is. investigation no one else can do for us. No one else can go inside our head, inside our heart and and refine our effort. It's something deeply intimate and now honestly I would say to you it's fun, you know, it's fun to look at the workings of your own being like that. Hmm. Once, when I was at Tassahara, you have a study period every day. And I said to myself, I am going to study Abhidhamma, Buddhist psychology, because that's what I should do. Every day I'd go into the study hall, and I'd get out my books, and I'd set them up, and I'd start to study them, and I'd fall asleep. <laughs> and I thought, I, I, I didn't drink coffee, so I thought, okay, I'm going to drink coffee and stay awake. And so I drank a cup of coffee, got up my books, set them up, and fell asleep. <laughs> and then I thought, I'm going to sit in full lotus and hold the book up <laughs> and drink coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I got up my books, drank my coffee, sat in full lotus, and held up my book. And then one day, and fell asleep. <laughs> one day, I was sitting like this, and I woke up, and there was a whole bunch of people who were looking at me, kind of nuts, and just, <laughs> 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 he just himself to hold his book up and sleep at the same time. <laughs> And then I noticed, for relief, I would read poetry. And when I read poetry, I woke up, I go, "Mm hmm, Mm hmm, nothing that isn't here and the nothing that is, Mm hmm. I don't know very much about Buddhist psychology, (laughs) at least the version that that book was presenting. Uh, I find reading it was a little bit like reading the phone book, you know? (laughs) Smith, John, Smith. Can it all be smooth sailing? No, it can't. Our lives are too complex. We're just, we're just too complex a creature for there to be a simple solution to what we are. So I'd encourage you today, enjoy yourself investigating who you are and how you are, and how you're responding to things. And when some story of your life insists upon your attention, check it out, hmm. how interesting. What's the teaching? What's it telling me about my own conditioned existence? Practice is very interesting because it weaves the two together, it weaves the savoring and the ease and the enjoyment with renunciation. Don't cling to me and the way I want my life to be. When I read that poem by Wallace Stevens, I think, For those of you who weren't here yesterday, we had a briny with our tea yesterday, a fresh baked, very rich, chocolatey rich briny, it was fantastic. (laughs) had brownies every day you yeah. know in fact if they'd have said if you want seconds you can have seconds or <laughs> thirds <laughs> by the time yesterday we would have come we would have thought oh brownies again there's <laughs> <laughs> a strange relationship between the two you yeah. know savor the moment almost paradoxically we have to be willing to let it go eat the delicious briny, and it smells good and it was still a little bit warm and it was delicious to my taste um, and then let it go And the same with the difficult things. Practice with them as best you can. Sit in that posture as long as you can sit stable and some level of composure and ease. And when that runs out, move. And part of the paradox is, by saying that to you, That will help you to sit longer. You'd think, oh, then we're going to start all moving all the time. No, you're not. The diligence, the the intention that brought you here is not going to settle for that. That's part of the paradox, you know? Something in attending to the request of practice from a place of trusting our own sincerity and dedication. When we trust our own sincerity and dedication, we trust the practice. The capacity to give over to it is enhanced. You know? It's a process. It's a marvelous process. And you'll make all sorts of mistakes. Persistent. Someone wrote me a a message recently and they said they were describing a student that they wanted me to Talked to them. They said, they're very stubborn and strong-willed. Yes, a very good student. <laughs> <laughs> Not to say you can't overdo that. Of course you can. You can overdo anything and everything. And still, St. Francis in the South. A bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower. For everything flowers from within of self-blessing. Though sometimes it's necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on its brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely, until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. As St. Francis put his hand on the creased forehead of his sow and told her, in words and in touch, blessings of earth on the sow. And the sow remembering, began remembering all down her thick length from her earthen snout all the way through the fodder and the slops to the spiritual coil of her tail. From the hard spininess spiked out through the spine down through the great broken heart to the sheer blue milk and dreaminess spurting and shuddering from the fourteen teats into the fourteen mouths sucking and blowing beneath them the long, perfect loveliness of the sun.